We are talking about pruning um, as one of the basic concepts of, of Christian living. So the concept of pruning. We're going to talk about where it comes from. Um, the original intent of it as Jesus talked about pruning. Um, and some of the other larger kind of um, overarching concepts with, with pruning. Um, so a lot of what we're doing on Wednesday nights, at least with me, as we look at um, these, these concepts, these um, basic things that go along with Christianity, but what is the true actual application of them? Where did they come from? What do they actually mean according to Scripture? And then how do we build that into what, what we're doing? Um, so pruning um, is, is, is brought up in the New Testament by Jesus in John 15. So that's the scripture we're going to look at. It's John 15. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go there and we're going to read that. So think about right now as you, um, when you think about pruning with this concept, when you hear the term, Think about right now. So what, what do you think about when you hear that term? What are the emotions that kind of go along with that? What are the things, um, what are the feelings that you have regarding that? And let's read. Okay, John. John 15, 1 through 7. Or, uh, sorry, 1 through 17. So, um, this is Jesus talking. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you, or it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be, uh, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. All right, so that's, that's the vine the, the true vine message from Jesus, uh, where we first hear about the concept of pruning. This, the, the vine part of this 
this is not a new concept to these people. But the pruning of this in terms of pruning of a person, this is the first time that this is going to come up. All right, so normally when we talk about pruning our lives as Christians, we talk about this, this set of verses. Jesus says the true vine. Uh, and when we think about pruning, we usually think about something bad is going to happen to me. God is going to take something away. It's going to get painful. Um, this is not going to be fun. This is going to hurt. I really just hope to survive this whole process, and I'd really rather not think about it. I hope I can get out of life without having to be pruned. You know, that's really what we think. At least that's what I think. I want to get out of it if at all possible. I don't want to get challenged. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to, um, to go through challenges. I don't want difficulty in my life. And more, more often than not, I, I don't want God bringing that to me. That's like twice as bad. At least if it's my own doing, it's just consequences of my own actions. But God bringing I have no control over that whatsoever. So that's exactly what, what we don't want. We think it's there to make our lives more difficult. Um, some background on this. The concept of a gardener, like I mentioned, uh, in a vineyard is not something that's new to these people. So the people in this culture, uh, and the greater Mediterranean world for that matter, they would have understood the concept of, of a gardener in a vineyard and how they take care of, of that um, and the pruning process. And so Jesus is using this picture. It would have made a whole lot of sense. Um, if you're familiar with pruning at all, it could be, and most often they're talking about olives, uh, tree, olive, I don't know if they're trees, they're olive plants, um, grapes for, for making wine, um, here, we often think about apples, and we think about fruit trees and things like that, and uh, even shaping hedges and, and stuff like that and pruning trees. So actually, when you prune a plant, it actually looks like you're completely destroying and hacking the heck out of this plant. What you're doing is you're taking away any, any branches. Think of an apple tree. Okay, we see that a lot. So if you see an apple tree, there's a, there's a shoot coming out. It's called a leader. So it's the one branch that you really want to develop. So what you do is you clear all the other branches away that would compete for energy, for sunlight, for resources. And so the plant, the tree, can put all of that energy into the one leader, into the one shoot. And then you develop that one. So if you ever watch somebody in an orchard prune trees, it looks like they completely destroyed the tree. And they cut away like 60, 70% of the tree. But the next year, all those resources that would have gone into those limbs have now all gone into the one leader or the ones that they choose to keep. And they would have understood this concept. Uh, you're cutting back all other competing branches and it looks like destruction. So Jesus is using this metaphor and... Uh, that very naturally already is going to take on some sort of um, some, uh, a concept that we can grab a hold of. It says, okay, 
things that are going to take time and going to take energy away from us and our development are going to get removed. That's, that's pretty easy to come to in terms of a conclusion. Um, but Jesus saying this takes on a whole other set of prophetic application as well, too. It has a wider, much wider application. So also in the immediate, but also in terms of the, their, uh, their culture and the, in the future. Um, this also would have been well understood. The concept of, of the vine. The disciples would have known what he was talking about. It's not just a physical plant vine. The vine uh, is commonly, in, in the Old Testament, the Torah, that, that's Israel. That is that group of, of people, and they would have also recognized this. Um, this is actually a reference back in the Torah to Psalm 80. So we're going to go, we're going to check out Psalm 80 um, right now and what they say about that. Okay. Psalm 80. Old Testament, this is something that everybody knew. If they were a practicer of Judaism, they knew these. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayer of your people, the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. So you can tell this is about the destruction of Israel. Uh, Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. The root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Jesus frequently references back to what we call the Old Testament, but the Torah. Jesus continually references back to these documents and makes the connection between the, the prophetic statements that are made, attaches himself to those, and in, in their, I guess I would call that for them, their modern 
time. So in this case, he's talking about the vine as Israel. But then, and, that, and that's pretty clear. Okay, he brought the vine out of Egypt. Who came out of Egypt? Who was led out of Egypt? Um, you drove out the nations and planted it. God drove out the people that existed in the land um, where he had um, the Hebrews settle. Um, you cleared the ground for it, took root and filled the land. Okay, so multiplied, became Israel. Um, then he's also making the reference to himself as well. So this is where that, that the, the language of the true vine starts to, starts to take root a little bit. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire, your rebuke, at your rebuke, your people perish. Let your right hand rest on the man at your, uh, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you are raised up for yourself. So, Jesus is connecting himself into this as the true vine, i.e. now the true Israel. So, in Israel, Israel is not just a place. It's not just a nation. Israel is also a noun. It's a concept. It's a person, place. It's a thing. It's an idea. That's, that's, that's the concept that goes along with the term Israel. Yes, it is a people group. Yes, it is a nation, but it is also a religion. It is the people of God. It's the chosen people. These are his people. And that was how you had salvation. You weren't a Gentile. You were part of Israel. Your salvation came through at that point then, prior to Jesus, prior to him being the Messiah. Laws, the law. So the Old Testament law. This heavy, heavy burden. All these things that, um, that they they thought would bring salvation, and at that point did, along with sacrifice, for when they didn't fulfill the law correctly. So Jesus is now calling himself the true vine, which they understood as the true Israel. In Jesus in John 15, go back there. It says right at the start of it, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. So on a plant, this vine, the true vine, it's where life, energy, and sustenance, uh, sustenance comes from. Jesus, as the true vine, is saying that he's the source of life and salvation. He's the thing that keeps you alive and also in God. He's saying we need to remain in him, in the vine, in Jesus. Remaining in a salvation by faith message, not a salvation by works message. So as the true vine, as the true Israel, Jesus is saying, it's faith in me now that saves you. 
you have to stay in him by faith. It's not about the law anymore. And it's interesting, at the beginning of 15, uh, 15.3, he says, you, you are the, the disciples. He's talking to the disciples here. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Keep in mind, Jesus hasn't died yet. He's still alive. He's still there. But they're clean because of the word that he has spoken to them. They're with him. They believe. So they're at the same point, essentially, kind of with us, except for the fact that Jesus was alive then. He's not now, at least in the physical. So he's saying to the disciples, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Not in the law, in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. Okay, remain, 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 remain. And then he's also bringing in fruit in this. So again, we're talking about fruit of the vine, we're talking about uh, righteousness. And it's also interesting to see through this too, if you go back a little bit into 14, chapter 14. This is something I didn't really realize until I, I was looking into it more. Um, Jesus actually doesn't exclude himself from the pruning process either. So go into 14. And this is pretty cool. Um, 14, 28, and 31. It's where Jesus is really talking about the Holy Spirit. But he said, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Jesus says, I do exactly what God commands of me. He says, come now, let us leave. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me. Jesus said, God cuts off every branch. Or Jesus said, God cuts off every branch in him, Jesus, that bears no fruit. I never caught that before. So Jesus isn't excluding himself from the spring process, but he is also, remember, the concept of Israel, too. So he's saying God is going to cut off anything, any people that is not bearing fruit. So we've got dual application here. We've got it in the personal. God is cutting off anything from Jesus that doesn't bear fruit or the fruit that God wants. So Jesus... He's crucified. We know that because he's, he's bringing forth salvation to humanity. That was his fulfillment. That was his, that was his purpose. So in a way, God's cutting off his physical life from him for, and yes, it's painful. We know that Jesus was pained even to 
to tears. Um, his, his sweat was like drops of blood in the garden before. This is not something he necessarily, he knew he had to do it, so we assume he wanted to do it, but it wasn't exactly like he was looking forward to it. This was something that he was going to have to walk through. He said, God cuts off everything in me that doesn't bear fruit. So they're seeing this, and they're also hearing God cuts off people that aren't bearing fruit in this people group. So remain in Christ. Remain in Jesus. That is how you earn salvation. So that is the whole concept of the vine in the branches, the true vine message in the pruning. The pruning is the cutting off of things that are not, are not getting you to your full potential. And it's all about the fruit, and the fruit is righteousness. So we keep talking about fruit, and last, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about fruit of the Spirit. It's all about the attainment of righteousness. Because that is how we glorify God. It's our righteousness. It's not a righteousness earned. It's a righteousness given. But it's all about the righteousness. Something else that's interesting to note is that um, it's, it's, it's thought that, that Jesus was crucified sometime between eighty. 30, 80, 33, somewhere in there. Um, after this was spoken uh, by Jesus, um, when he says he's the true vine and the gardener cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit, um, in AD 70, 27 years after this was spoken, you had the destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple. Um, it was, it was um, the Roman siege of Jerusalem. You can Google it. You can look at it. You can see the timeline. So at this point, now there's three applications. A couple of them very prophetic. He's tying himself into the Old Testament Torah. He's, he's tying himself into Jesus as Israel, as the true vine. And he's also tied in the prophecy of the destruction of the temple again. And that was in AD 70. The Roman siege of Jerusalem, 27 years after Jesus gave this instruction, which was after the death of Jesus, which is sometime between 30 and 33 AD. That's, and the timing of things are kind of fuzzy. It, it, you can get within about a decade sometimes. Some of the things, so depending on the searching that you're doing, you're going to find different dates. But widely accepted between biblical scholars and non-biblical scholars, somewhere between 30, 33 A.D. Okay, so lots of applications with, with this. When it comes to pruning, it's not just as easy as saying that God is interested in hurting us to get us to a better spot. Jesus talking about this brings on a whole other set of application into a, a salvation by faith message 
instead of a salvation by works message. So if you think about it, really, Jesus and the apostles, they really had a core set of things that they continued to hammer and talk about. And yes, there's a lot of complexity to it, but at a base level, they were all about really a handful of things. And this is just another way that it tied in. Okay, so we know that God's plan, then he didn't spare Jesus from this. He certainly sure as heck isn't going to spare us from it. God's plan to bring about righteousness out of our lives is a cutting off process, a cutting off of the things that don't bear fruit, that don't bear righteousness, or at least not the type that he wants out of us. So there's, there's not an escaping this, unfortunately. I'm going to skip down in my notes a little bit um, to kind of the four, the four main points here. Um, pruning. Pruning happens to branches that are already bearing fruit. We know this in the natural. If they're already bearing fruit or leaves or have growth, it does not exempt them from pruning. So if you have some good things in your life right now that aren't necessarily bad. Um, there might be some good stuff coming out of it. But know that that is open to discussion with God. It's on the chopping block, if he, show, if he so decides, even if it is bearing fruit. And we, and we know that sometimes there's different seasons in life and there's changes and uh, but that can be part of the pruning process when there's changes, when we're challenged. If that is going to bring about another, I shouldn't maybe say level of righteousness, but if that's going to bring about some new skills for us, um, some new um, strengths, a new reliance, a real understanding of reliance on God in some things, in some areas. Um, it's all on the table. And Jesus' point to this, uh, to us in this is that if you aren't remaining in him as the true vine, um, you're not going to be able to, to walk through that. So it happens to branches that are already bearing fruit. In order to be even more fruitful, you get pruned. You get challenged. Some things will be stripped away. It also happens to branches that are not bearing fruit. So we've got, it happens to branches that are bearing fruit. It also happens to branches that are not bearing fruit. We know that those are cut off. Those are burned. That's in John 15 as well. If we're not remaining in him, the true vine, then you're going to get cut off. It's going to get burned up. Jesus makes that pretty clear. Uh, it is a requirement as a follower of Christ to be pruned, and it is to be expected. That's how we continue to grow, and there is no leveling out process. We don't ever level. We never get to a spot and stop because we don't ever obtain true righteousness or a fullness of righteousness 
This goes back to Matthew 5, 6. That's the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to get your butt kicked, go there. Matthew 5, 6, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the striving for righteousness, not necessarily by works, but through faith in Christ, which brings about fruit of the Spirit, brings about that heart attitude, that heart position towards God that says that we want more, we want more of him, we want more of him, we're, um, we're, we're more able uh, to, to do the things that he's asking us to do. Okay, and we also see that there's individual application to this concept of pruning as well as a wider application uh, that we need to take note of. And I I had some other things written down here, too. I don't think that we need to necessarily go into that. Um, I just want to help us understand where this concept comes from. Know that it's going to happen. And it looks differently for for everyone. It looks different for everyone. Um, Sometimes good things in our life uh, get stripped away. Uh, we know that if we are searching after God, that the things that are not producing righteousness, we kind of expect that those are going to get brought up. And we can run from that. We can avoid it to a certain point. But, I mean, if we're really searching after God, he's going to be bringing that stuff up and we're going to have to address it one way or another. It could take 10, 15 years. It could take more. It could take a few days. But that is why, that's why all these things that we're trying to build in, especially with SLM, are important. Time daily with God allowing him to speak into your life, putting your heart in a position where you'll say yes, God, I want more of you. How do we do that? And that's, again, it's not something that we can do by always just working hard. It works for a while. But at some point, you either get burned out or you get tired and frustrated and you just you can't do that forever. It's all about the heart position. That's the fruit. The, the fruit is the, is the righteousness produced out of our lives. If we want that, we need to expect that he's going to bring stuff up and that he's going to want to cut stuff off. And it looks different for everybody. Um, typically, again, it's not always the case. What it means is that um, the way you spend your time uh, or you're going to get questioned on the way that you spend your time in your time with God, who you're spending your time with, how you're spending it. And I'm not saying that you should not spend time with people who aren't believers. I'm not, because that gets, that gets preached in places, is that this, this separation of 
um, of, of um, social circles that you know all the people you should associate with are, are should be Christian people. That's not that's not the message. Um, there's a lot that goes in with that. I, I guess know, know that I'm not saying do not spend all of your time with Christian people. If all of your friends are Christian people or all your friends, all your relationships are people from church or from different churches or Bible studies and you have zero ability to talk to other people that are not exactly like you in that, that's an imbalance. There is something to community, and community is, or Christian community is very, very important. Um, that will build, that's accountability. Um, it's, it's encouragement to each other. That should be the base level of our lives, is, is Christian community. It should be the base level of our lives. But if all your friends are just from church, um, you're out of whack a little bit. Um, you're not having any ability then to impact anybody else. You can't be an, an example or the right kind of example. So sometimes God can cut off some of your relationships or the time that you have for some of those relationships. It can go both ways. For me, especially going through college, it was a little bit, it was a little bit different where I had to, I had to, cut off some of those relationships in me that weren't producing any sort of good fruit. It was more of a challenge to me than anything in who I was and where God was taking me. It was in direct opposition, so we talked about that. And eventually there were some relationships I just had to move away from. It wasn't mean. It wasn't exclusionary, it was just we kind of went our separate ways because we're going different places in life. Um, you're going to have to probably do that at some point. And it's not easy. But the flip side of that is that the relationships that you will build are going to produce a whole heck of a lot more fruit. They'll be more encouraging again. It's not to say that all your friends are going to be Christians, but um, have that balance. Uh, the way you spend your time, the things that you do with your time, that should be on the chopping block for you. If you're spending, I, I forget what the, the average now is, what they said like in American life, you know, how many hours of TV people spend. Uh, Spend uh, on that. It was something like thirty some hours, I think, now, a week. Minimum. I, I think it was way more than thirty, but it was something along those lines. Um, not saying you can't watch movies, can't watch TV shows, but if that's the bulk of your time, God's going to bring that up. You're going to have to deal with that. Uh, activities. I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians that go to the bar. For some people, it's fine. 
A lot of others, it's not. That kind of ties into relationships. Um, the things that you attach yourself to. Uh, the social activities you attach yourself to. Those are going to get challenged. That's where you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit a little bit too. Say, God, is this is how I'm spending my time in these relationships? Is this is this appropriate for me? And it'll look different for everybody. Um, but you'll have to make some decisions that way too. God's going to bring up those things. He's going to cut off those things that are not producing fruit in you. But you have to be able to allow him to do all of these things. You have to allow him the opportunity to say, let's talk about this. Let's put everything on the table. And go from there. It doesn't always have to be big, huge things, like some big sin issue or something like that. Um, Sometimes it will be, but a lot of times it's very small things. And God's going to ask something of you, and you have a choice. Are you going to respond? Or are you going to ignore it? Jesus is saying as part of this, remain in him. And he'll do the work. He'll give you that life. He'll give you that, that sustenance to be able to do the things that are going to pr- produce righteousness out of your life. And that's the whole goal. That's why we're all here. We're, we're, we're searching for righteousness. We're searching for um, all that God has for us out of our lives. So I don't know why, if that's where we're at, if this is why we're doing what we're doing, why would we not allow him to cut things off when he wants to? Because then all of a sudden we're just working in opposition of him. It's like saying, I want to run a marathon. Okay, great. You got to go for a run tonight. Well, I don't want to do that. Well... <laughs> that's not going to work. You can say that you want to run a marathon all you want, but if you never go for a run, you're not going to run a marathon. Or a 5K or whatever. Same concept. So if we're here and we say, God, we want you to, to get the most out of us and all that you want out of us, possible, then we have to be willing to say, God, I accept the fact that you will cut things out of my life, that you will bring things forward, and that I'm going to have to face them. I'm going to have to make some very difficult decisions at times. But our prayer should be, God, help me put my heart in a position where I can respond to the times when you, when you ask those things of me. God, what do we need to do daily? You and me, what do we need to do daily so that my heart is in a spot where I say yes and I'm willing and I'm happy to do that?
Is there, um, you guys have any examples right now of like, are there any things God's doing in your life right now that you would consider that he's pruning something out? Are any of you being challenged in anything right now that you want to share anyway? got to be willing to put it on the table you know you got to be willing to and while it might not be fun at the time what it produces out of that is this knowledge and this heart position of and God now I understand the importance of 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 uh, discussing those relationships with you and and how, who you want me to be spending time with and developing those, and that's there's fruit. Are there any others? Not that you don't feel compelled to share if you don't have to, but just asking the question. Yep, if you put it on the table, then you will let him Well, it's kind of funny because my wife and I have some examples of stuff like that, too. I think a lot of people do is if you just allow, if you just put it on the table and let God just have a crack at it rather than just doing something out of your own effort and will, just give him the opportunity and see what he does with it. You know, maybe it is that you just go ahead and you buy that thing anyway, but some of the time it's, well, there's something else out of this that. And sometimes that's what you're giving up, what, you, what he's cutting off a little bit might be some pride in the fact that you say, God, rather than do this myself because I do everything by myself or on my own because that's the way I like it, because I'm in control at least, that pride's a really hard one to let him <laughs> prune off. doesn't matter who you are. There's, and even a lot of times you, at least in myself, maybe this is more of a confession than anything, but for a lot of, when you hear about people or you meet people that are at that real level where they ask God for everything, and it seems like they, I guess there's different ways to go about it, but... um, they throw everything on God. And a lot of times I find myself saying, man, have some self-respect. Like, or you're just being lazy. Or you don't want to do anything. But that's just being judgmental on my part because there might be some of that, but you know what? That's not my call to make. And there are people that have gotten... They, they trust God so much. It didn't happen overnight. But they trust God so much that they will let those things go. You also see the other side of these people's lives that there are times when they do jump on these things right away and they're very discerning. But 
It's, it's not it's not laziness. It's they've 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 battled and they've worked really hard over their life to get to a point where they can trust God that much. When I say either way, God's not going to let me down on this. And um, we're going to run this one by him first. We're going to put it on the table. We're going to let him do what he's going to do. And uh, we'll go from there. And these are people that have completely cut off any sort of pride in terms of I can do this by myself. You know, even little, even little kids, they, they have this desire to, like, I want to do it myself. I can do this. And they'll tell you, no. No, I can do this. Well, I do the same darn thing. Uh, yep. Yep. All right. We're at about that hour mark. Well, I guess we did pretty good. Um, we'll close it in prayer and uh, let you get out of here. Lord, we thank you for today and for who you are. And uh, that you desire the greatest, uh, the greatest good out of us. That you um, desire righteousness out of our lives. That you want to build righteousness in our lives. That you want to build a heart position in us towards you. Where we trust you fully and completely where we hear your voice and we respond to the things that you ask of us. Um, Lord, we ask that you would speak clearly during times where we are being challenged and you want to prune things out of our lives. Um, We ask for discernment, we ask for peace, we ask for joy in the process, but... um, I pray that you would allow us to just put things on the table for you, to allow, to allow nothing um, that we would allow everything in our lives for the potential to be removed, should you choose. Thank you that you're good, that you have good things planned for those who love you. And we thank you that we have, uh, that we have Christ to look to, that we, that we, um, that our strength, our source of strength and righteousness comes from faith in Christ. Um, And that our strength comes from him as well. Uh, that you give us the ability to um, to pursue to pursue you. You give us that which we need. I pray you go with these guys um, throughout the week. Um, Lord, speak to them clearly. I pray that their time alone with you uh, would be filled with revelation and joy. Um, yeah, in Jesus' name.